Well, fall is here. Leaves are starting to turn. Get your rakes out. We get some beautiful color here after a couple weeks or so. And uh, God reveals himself through nature and through creation. And and, uh, even though the leaves are a lot of work, we still have to give thanks for all that God has done for us. We want to uh, bring to a close today this topic of serving God. And one of my goals has been for us to really look at this idea of where we're serving God not based on pure duty. But we want to come to that place where we're serving God as a response to his love and really a heart of delight for God. God doesn't force us to serve him. He invites us to be used in in the church, in the kingdom of God, for the gospel. I think of that last song of he invites us to shout his name from the mountaintops and let the world know that the Messiah had come. He died for us. So, But we want to come to that place where serving again isn't just this dutiful thing that, oh, I have to do it. But let me just for a quick review, just kind of summarize just for a moment uh, what we've gone over a few f- for a couple of those weeks, and I'll put those on the screen for you. They're not in your notes or anything, but motives matter in serving. We have to acknowledge that. Why we do what we do really makes a difference. A uh, second one, we want serving to, is more than just a task. We want serving to become a way of life. And, and that's going to weave in with what we're talking about today even. And the third one, that biblical serving really calls us to humility. It starts there where we humble ourselves before God and acknowledge that He is God and we are to, to serve Him. And then out at, when we were at the church picnic, we, we said this, there was a doctrinal point, and it's very crucial in that because of salvation, because the Holy Spirit's been put in us, we now have the ability to serve one another out of love. There's a freedom there that I think we underestimate as to our ability to actually serve the kingdom and serve other people, and we can see people differently. And last week, in order to help us, you recognize that God has given us resources, spiritual gifts, that he's given us talents and abilities where he wants us to turn around and he invites us to serve him with the gifts that he has given us. But there's another crucial point that we want to end on here in this series. And turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans 12, just to give a a brief introduction, Romans 12 is a hinge. And if you go chapters 1 through 11, what you're going to find is that there's an intense doctrinal dissertation by Paul as he writes to this church, and it covers a a myriad of of subjects, salvation, sin, uh, God, uh, redemption, uh, freedom, all different kinds of things. So it's heavy on doctrine, but chapter 12, the turning point is so now that you've been saved and understand this mercy of God, Chapter 12 goes, now live differently. It's a practical application starting in chapter 12. And look what it says in verse 1. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He tells them, tells us, to present our bodies as a sacrifice. Now, now here, and, and it's for the, the fact of worship. Now, here's where i got to dig a little bit, and I need to connect the issue of worship with serving. And it's rooted in this word worship here. The typical word for worship, and let me put uh, this other word, here's the first word. This comes from John chapter 4. Remember when Jesus was at the well, woman at the well, and he says, worship in spirit and in truth. That word worship is this word in, in the Greek. It, it's called proskuneo, and it means to kiss the hand, to fall upon the knees and to touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of reverence. There's, a, there's an element of affection when, in this word of worship. So this is the, the normal, this is the one that's used most often, by the way, it's we give our affections to God. And matter of fact, when we sing, it's with this kind of attitude that we're called to sing and that God, in one sense, is the audience. We sing with humble reverence and thanking Him, that knowing the awesomeness and the goodness of God. But Romans 12.1 is a different word. And let me put that on the screen. It's latreia. But look at the definition of this worship. Service rendered for hire. Any service to perform sacred services. Romans 12.1, that word worship, is about serving and the service to God. This is more than just affections given to God. But it really leads to the, the application that we want to drill down on today and really emphasize this morning. The main point, if you're taking notes here, I said it this way, that God desires that we live a life of worshipful service. When the motives are right in our, in our hearts, God sees our serving as an act of worship. But this serving is far more than just tasks that we perform. It's a call to present our lives to God as an act of worship. It means that we are to give every aspect of our lives over to God. And God has the right to do with our lives what He desires. And by the way, this is very strong language. It's very pointed here in this passage. Our lives are set apart to serve God. But there's a connection here. Keep going. Letter 2, or chapter, uh, verse 2. Because the question, how do we get to that place where our lives are about serving the King of Kings? Well, verse 2 gives the how. To verse 1. Look at how it reads here. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So what are the things that need to take place so our lives are pleasing to him whereby God sees it as worship? Well, think of it this way. The opposite of worshiping God is what? Frankly, it's this. Worship of the self. We lift up ourselves first. We become that autonomous creature. And when one is trapped in self-worship, Deep down, we don't care about the things of God. They're kind of irrelevant. And the self is at the center of, the wor- of our world. But there has to be a movement away from the self. And that is what transformation is all about. It's a transformed life will, will move us to be, give ourselves so that God can use us for his purposes. But you notice in verse 2 here, he starts with the negative. Don't conform to this world. I, I think we could say it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The prince of this world wants to squeeze you and conform to its ideals and its beliefs. It's things like this, in consumerism, power, politics, success, sexual immorality. The prince of this world wants to squeeze us in such a way that it fits with the the selfishness of self-worship. Matter of fact, you recognize that this starts at a very young age. As Satan tries to squeeze and mold even children and students, And I think that the intensity of that battle when it's in the teenage years of trying to squeeze that child and they'll grow up to adult where they're conformed more to the world. By by the way here, Paul also recognizes, and if we go back in Romans uh, earlier, he would say this, we're born that way. We have the disposition that wants to be self-centered. So it comes very naturally and to squeeze into the mold of the world by itself, if, we, if, we, if salvation doesn't come, it just naturally takes place. But the temptation in this, when we say don't conform to the world, I, I think here's the temptation. Let's just avoid the world. Let's build up some walls around us, keep people away that are really evil, keep the kids away from bad people, But you know what? That's not what Paul had in mind here. See, the fact remains that we are called into the world to serve the world, to love the world, to shout out the name of Jesus to the world. Let me put a statement for your notes on there on the screen to fill in that blank for you. It is an act of worship to serve those who need Jesus and who don't know him. Do you realize that? When we serve, and we tend to think of they're the enemy. They're not the enemy. God loves them. The enemy is Satan. But when we serve them, when we reach out to them, that is an act of worship. We're being a light in a dark world. So building walls is not the example. Matter of fact, I came across a quote in a commentary that I was reading this week on Romans from Stuart Briscoe, and this is what he said. I think I have it on the screen here. The transformed life 
is shown by the degree in which the believer stays in the secular world without being trapped by it and with failing to be a witness to it. Tension is aptly described by the Master's words explaining we are in the world, but not of it. Do you catch that? But he also doesn't stay on the negative as well. Because in verse 2, there, there's a positive or a movement that's, that's called for our lives. It says be transformed then. And you can actually be living in the world, but you can be transformed by renewing of your mind. Now that transformation, that word is an interesting word because it's, it's the English word metamorphosis. Think of it as a caterpillar, where a caterpillar, kind of an ugly caterpillar, all of a sudden turns into a butterfly. That's the picture of transformation. And it implies that there's something that goes on here that's not just about trying harder. I'm going to change today. No. There's actually a work of God in this process. Matter of fact, I put up on the screen 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And it says this, it's used again in this verse, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that's the word again, into the same image as the degree of glory to, to another. For this, look at this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, it implies that the Holy Spirit has to be working in our lives and is an active participant in our change and our transformation but that the doorway to allowing the Holy Spirit to work is up here, is our minds. And I have to remind you that the Holy Spirit doesn't force transformation on us. It woos us, it invites us, it keeps calling to us, hey, come to me and I will transform you. And we can resist it. But how do we cooperate with Him? How do we come to a place that we're, well, matter of fact, there's a key question here. Let me, let me put it for your notes. Do we really truly want to be set apart for Jesus to serve Him as an act of worship? Is that really the attitude of our heart? Because it starts with a desire for us. And if we say yes to that, it's, it means that we must Seek Jesus. And we get, need to get to know Jesus through His Word. And this is critical in the Spirit taking this and changing this from the inside out. We need this book. If you're not feeding on this book regularly, transformation will not take place. We can fool people on the outside. But if it really doesn't happen, we can still be dark on the inside and struggling with God on the inside. But transformation is pointing back to verse 1. It fulfills verse 1. We become an acceptable sacrifice to God. And we pour out our lives to God. And we serve Him with our lives and it becomes an act of worship. Let's keep going. Move to verse 3 here. Because it's, I think here some people, matter of fact, 
some authors and writers tend to think that there's a break between, we always quote one and two all the time, and then we leave three out. But actually three is circling back to verse one again. You'll notice there's a little English word there. I underlined it. Four, it's a Greek conjunction word, which is linking one and two with three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, this is going back to spiritual development again and and living a life of serving him that leads to worship. But it really comes around, and when you look at that verse, there's another word, we've we said it over and over again, it's this word humility. Not thinking more highly of ourselves. Now, let, let me put the statement on the screen for your notes. The evidence of a transformed mind is how one thinks about herself or himself in relation to God and others. Do you realize that? See, why does Paul keep harping on this issue of humility? Well, the opposite is pride. But we realize that, well, pride and even just right thinking can't save us. Pride does something that's very destructive. It hurts ourselves and it hurts other people and those around us. Now, I understand this. When Paul writes this verse, Verse 3, he's, I think he's alluding to something, and it's his experience of what he went through. Because if you think back to his experience, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. There was a conversion, and, and God changed him. And Paul could have, you know what, if anybody could have been prideful, it frankly could have been Paul. I met Jesus I spent time in the desert with him. He trained me. I have authority. I have power. See, Paul recognized that could lead to pride. But Paul got it. He recognized one thing is that he didn't deserve what he had. He didn't get those things, all those gifts by trying harder. Matter of fact, his trying harder actually took place before he was saved. But he got it, and what did he understand? It's the word grace. He really understood grace. And I think for us, we must continually remind ourselves of the grace of God and the mercy of God in order for us to be people who serve the King of Kings. In order for us to be transformed, we must, rem- we must remember His grace. It should push us toward humility. It's been interesting, this study for me. It's over and over and over again. It, it comes back, this issue of humility is just woven deeply into this issue of serving God. And I think this, when people don't serve others, when they're stuck in that where I don't really care about serving, you know what? They're trapped in some form of pride and it's taken root in their life. And I think this, they've forgotten about the grace of God and the mercy of God. 
But see, Paul here is saying, bury the pride. Get rid of it. See, he knows that humility leads to understand that God is the one that's in, in control. And, and you'll notice that how he points this is he says this, the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has given a measure of faith to those who are his children. We are to serve God according to the measure of faith that God has given us. Let me show you a quote. You might be wondering, just what does that mean, that phrase? And the quote that I found, I really like and I really agree with. It says this, This phrase does not refer to saving faith, but to the capacity to serve. Every Christian has been given grace that is designed to lead to God-honoring service in the church. See, the fact that some people, God has given more grace and more ability than others. Do you realize that? This is what the passage is saying. But here's where we get in trouble. When we hear that, I think sometimes we look at people who have lots of grace and lots of faith and lots of abilities and lots of gifts, and we go, oh, I wish I had those. That's one, that's one way to look at it. And again, where does that come from? I think it's this is pride again. But then there's another response for some people where they don't really understand this truth. They look and they compare and they, they look and go, look at all the service that I'm doing within the body, within the kingdom, and, and they go, nobody else is doing it. And there's this attitude that says, I'm the only one and woe is me. I'm doing all the serving around here. And you know what? That attitude, it's pride as well. People get stuck in that attitude. But the truth is, God gives different faith to different people. And even in the area of serving. Matter of fact, Jesus gives an illustration on this. Let me put on the screen Luke 12, 48, part of that verse. When someone has given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with very much, see there's much and there's very much, even more will be required. And understand, this is a bit sobering. Because here's the deal. Some of you have been given very much. And it can, even for some people, go, I don't want that much. Some of you ever feel that way? And you don't want the responsibility? But even there is a bit of a subtle pride. God, I know better than you. You should have created me different. I have the right to decide on what I should really do, how I should serve the king. Now, I, I do got to point one out thing out here just to go down a path. When I talk about service, I recognize that there are different seasons of life and that sometimes people have to back away from serving the king to sit at the feet of Jesus, frankly. I, I know that. But in this room, when you look at this passage here, there are some people in this place that have been given an abundance and an overabundance of faith. And it's a sobering reality. And some of you are not using that faith and the gifts that God has apportioned you. See, there is an accountability in the faith with which He has given us. 
And for some of you, God has given you multiple spiritual gifts that He wants you to use. And for some, it's just one gift or two gifts. And there's an accountability in this issue, folks. And is it weighty? Yeah. Does it seem fair? No. Is it a stewardship issue? The answer is yes, it is. Look at how he connects this. Because he's not done here. He's, he comes to verse 4 through 8, actually. And again, this is pointing back to verse 1. Look at how it reads verse 4. 4, there's a conjunction again. As in any one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. You see how that fits with 3. So we, though, many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. We are diverse. We belong to the same body. There's an interconnectedness into the church of God that we just cannot deny. And yet we fight for individualism so hard. That phrase, one of another, I think we just fail to grasp the depth of that point. It's more than just attending a church together. It's the function of serving one another. And that we are connected in that service. It means the eyes work with the hands, with the knees, and all of them function together. Now, now let me see if I can give you an illustration. Anybody play real baseball? Not softball. Real baseball. (laughs) Anybody raise their hand? Yeah, we got a few people in here. Well, if you've ever watched on TV, have you, you know what a brushback pitch is? It's where the, the batter is crowding the plate because the bat goes farther over the plate. And, and a pitcher will, I used to pitch in high school, and, and you would throw a pitch that would basically, you aimed at it about a, you know, two or three inches uh, in front of their nose. Okay. But, but you understand the complexity of the body and how it works together When a pitcher throws a pitch and you know it's coming at your head, you know what happens? The eyes see it. What happens? The head jerks back. The knees begin to buckle. The stomach leans over. And and you ever seen a guy collapse on the ground? All in one motion. That is the interconnectedness that Paul is talking about in terms of the body of Christ. And just think this. What if the head were working independently, or the eyes, and not telling the rest of the body that the ball is coming? What would happen? Ouch. Is what would take place. Or what would happen if the knees didn't buckle? And the eyes are going, move, 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 and the knees don't. Give in and duck. That is how the church is called to function together. And when the arms don't work, one works and one doesn't, one gets a sore arm. And when a leg is not used when it needs to be used, atrophy can set in 
And, and you know what happens when you get a bad leg and you're limping? All of a sudden it throws the back out. Muscles begin to break down just because the leg is not being used. See, that is the body of Christ, the way that we're supposed to use. And all of this is supposed to be done with an attitude of worship. And God wants us to perform the roles that we have been given. Matter of fact, look at verse 6, some of the roles. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul has seven gifts here. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy. And what's unique about this list, there, there's something quite, I, thought, I discovered, is that four of them, and I knew this, but it just was reminded that four of them are attributes or virtues that all Christians are supposed to have. You know that's Service. Some people have the gift of service, but all people are called to serve. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Exhortation. Some have the gift, but Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another day after day. Giving. Paul calls all Christians to give. And yet some people have the gift of giving. See, God calls all people to set aside money for the body, for the kingdom of God. We're to take all take responsibility. I was doing some work on, we're looking at the budget, the executive board, and uh, I was doing some figuring, and I don't know if you realize this in, in terms of finances for the church, but it costs tw about $24 a day for every person that walks through on a Sunday morning. We have about 200 here on a weekend or so. It takes about $24 every Sunday in order to make this place happen. And do you realize that there are some of you who can do that and give more lavishly than others because you have been given the gift of giving? And I go, praise God. And some of you, do you realize that God has given you an unusually tender-hearted disposition to show mercy. He's graced you with more mercy. And you're called to use it within the body and outside the body. And, and yes, all of us are called to be merciful. Luke 6 says that. But what does this teach us about these gifts? And I think one thing I discover and just as I ponder this, you know what, they're not quite as tight as we want to make them out to be all the time. But it's also this, is that there are different proportions even to some of the gifts. And so while they're not tidy, everybody is to strive for some of these things. And matter of fact, though, even in your various gifts, if you have a particular gift, do you realize that one people can be more gifted in your spiritual gift area than another? So you know what, I think I have the gift of leadership that comes up on the test when I take it, but when I look at to some other people, I, I look at some others out there and I go, I don't have the gift of leadership at all. But I go, no, that's the proportion to what God is doing through gifts. 
You know what? Those people that have great leadership gifts, they just got more accountability than I have. And you go, thank you, Jesus. But look at verse 6 again. Let me put that on the screen. Having the gifts that differ according to the grace, there's where you can have different gifts and even different proportions of those gifts. Then it goes, let us use them. The key there, let us use them. What's he saying? Serve, serve, serve one another. And here again is the reality. When we do that with the right motive, that service is a worshipful act in giving our lives back to God. So if you have the gift of leadership, lead. But you know what? You've got to be connected to people if you're going to use that gift, don't you? You can only, if you just lead yourself, I wouldn't call that a leader, would you? If you're the gift of serving, are you connected enough with people so you know people's needs to serve them? See, gifts and these abilities, they go beyond Sunday morning and Wednesday night. I think we, there's where we get into spiritual gifts and we just go, Wednesday, Sunday. And you go, no. These are to be used all the time for the glory of God. See, God wants us to serve one another out of love. And in order to do that, to use our gifts, we have to be interconnected as people. And we have to put ourselves in opportunities where it actually can function. Community groups would be an example. It's a place where people can love each other, use their spiritual gifts, where it can go beyond theory. But you recognize if you just stop and ponder, this stuff we're talking about is only theory unless we put it into practice. And we use them. It's theory if we don't get to know one another's needs. How can you be merciful without having a relationship with somebody? How does it exhortation work where if you don't know anybody, how can you do that in love? we got to be connected. How can we serve without really looking around and saying, what are people's needs? What are the body's needs? See, that phrase, let us use them, is, is a phrase like, get out of the stands and get into the game. That's what God is calling us to hear, and it becomes an act of worship. Let me end with three results, though, of serving. When you go, what are the, what's the result when we begin to give our lives to God, when we, He takes our gifts and He changes us and He uses them for the kingdom within the body, there are three results here that I put on the screen. And the first one is God is glorified. That last song, His name gets lifted up when the body functions like it's supposed to function. He's glorified. But number two there, others will be built up in their faith. And discipleship always pushes us to go, how do I present others complete in Christ? What can I do to help build others up? 
And that's just the opposite of, of pride. And I'm just going to be by myself. And I don't care about other people. And number three, I have to put this one in here because we talked about meaning that first Sunday. And where does meaning and purpose come from? And understand that God puts within us the spirit to worship him, to serve him, and that is where meaning will be found. And when we use our gifts, when we use our ability, when we reach out in love, God gives us a sense of purpose that's legitimate and it's not centered on the self. And God is then glorified. Are you using your gifts? Are you connected to the church? Or do you just come on Sunday morning and you don't get involved with any other people's lives? How do you use your spiritual gift? By doing that. It just won't work. And at that point, it fails to become an act of worship. Let me put the 12-1 on the screen again just to close. Look at this. I appeal, therefore, brothers and sisters of Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church, by the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, our spiritual worship. Let's stand and pray. Father, there is so much in this passage that Paul wrote. I left out so much. But you are calling us to love one another. You're calling us to serve one another. You're calling us to serve you. You're calling us to give our lives in such a way that you are in control of them. And, and Lord, we just want to confess at those times, even in my own life, at times I, I, I stay independent and I, I resist the call on, on from you. But Lord, would you change us? Would you give us the willingness to bow before you, to humble ourselves, to see people, to love people, to care about people? So Lord, change us. And Lord, we want this church to be about you. We want this church to worship you. So may we worship you, not only in service, but even in affections like in John 4, where we worship you in spirit and truth. So change us. Propel us to that invitation that you're giving us to serve you. And we give this day to you. with things we pray in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, I'd uh, encourage you to in, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, my wife is at the table. If you want to take a peek at some of the days and nights that uh, we're going to have community groups, have a great week.